Good morning, everyone. How are we? Trying to wake you up. I had to raise my voice just a little bit. You look like your heads were drooping. We're going to be in Genesis 2, starting verse 23, in just a couple minutes. And then we're going to spend a majority of our time actually in 1 Corinthians 11, um, starting in verse 3. So if you want to double dip, you can. If you just want to go with what I'm talking about, that is cool too. Many of you know that, uh, and I talk about this from time to time, that I spent some years in the Navy, and out of the four years that I spent in the Navy, I, I spent what we call a lot of years haze gray and underway. That means gone. That means, sorry, I just went Navy on you. I had to. Um, but uh, but I, I had to spend a lot of time at sea. As a matter of fact, out of the four years, actually a year and a half of that was on the water, literally on the water. And it, it was... It brought some of of the best times and some of the worst times of my life, if I'm if I'm blatantly honest. I was married pretty much the whole time um, that I was uh, of my time in service, and distinctly, I, I remember that that when I would leave for these deployments, it's like if you've ever had to leave for. I mean, if I realize that I don't want to be insensitive, but if 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 people have to, if you're close to to your wife, and I realize if you leave for a week, it's like. It's hard. It's hard for me to leave for a week. It's hard for me to leave Marla for a week. It's like I feel like a part of me is gone. But imagine, if you would, six months at, at a pop. And if you've had to go through something like that, you know that it's traumatic. I, I remember I had to do two six-month deployments, and I remember before both of those deployments, as I would leave, there would be this tension that would be in us, and we knew that the day was inevitable, that I was going to have to leave. And then, then I would finally, I would get on, uh, on, a, on a plane. I was attached to a squadron, so I would get on a plane, and then I would fly to Norfolk, Virginia, and I would get on the boat, and it would be dreadful, and it would be so tearful, and it would be horrendous. I, I, I really I despised it. And I remember going through, from the first time that I... I walked across the gangplank onto the ship for a deployment. I knew that my life was going to change. But there was this hope for me on the other side of the cruise that one day that that ship would what? That ship would come in. And as that ship would come in, I mean, I, I, I looked forward to this day, and it was a big buildup for this day, and I was, man, I was amped for this day. And I remember as I would be in, pre- in preparation and as I was counting down the days and like you count it down like three days in a wake up because the last day you come in really doesn't count you know you just another way of mentally cheating the days that you're gone is all it is so so I remember going through that and I remember literally counting the clothes that I had left all the nasty dirty clothes and I'm thinking three days in a wake up I can throw this away I don't have to have this washed two days in a wake up I can throw this away any any service member knows and appreciates what I'm talking about right now is when you're getting ready to get out you're getting ready to have a big transition of just lighten the load and I, I remember getting down and the anticipation for that day and both of the deployments Marla was waiting for me on the pier and it was incredible and I'm standing up there in, in a uniform that I'm glad I don't have to wear anymore and I remember standing on and I kind of wormed my way to the edge of the ship and I'm looking out and I can see my bride I mean, there was thousands of people, but all I could see was my bride. Oh, it was powerful. It was so powerful. And it was so, there were tears when I would leave, and then there'd be tears when I would get back, tears of joy when I'd get back, and I'd be so excited to be back. And I remember distinctly that I was thinking, man, we can just get on with life again. But difficulty happened. 
as I would come back from the deployment, the excitement and all of that would really fade quickly. And we would have to find the, the, the harmony and the balance of life real quick. Because Marla had had to live six months without me, and I had to live six months without her. Realistically, we had to live independent of one another. And if I'm, if I'm really honest, it was a great struggle to find that balance when we got back. And it was such a struggle. That, and then I, was, I would wrestle with, well, what am I supposed to do? She's not allowing me to do this. And she's saying, well, why don't you do this? And I'm like, well, I, I don't have to do that. I, I haven't had to do those things before. I didn't have to take out the trash. That was somebody else's job, right? I worked on airplanes. Somebody else took out the trash. It's just kind of like how it worked. And she's like, well, hey, we need this and we need this. And, hey, we're in this together. And I'm like, what? And, and, I, and then I would remind her, hey, we're in this together. And she's like, what? She didn't understand. And I didn't understand all of the complications getting back to the normalcy of life. So the topic that I, I, I go through and I'm going to discuss today, I know it's going to be a challenge for many of you to hear. I know this. But I want to tell you with humility, it was, it's a challenge to commit to what I'm getting ready to talk about. And it's a challenge to embrace what I'm getting ready to talk about. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's difficult to just live out. And you have to be committed to it. You wonder what I'm going to talk about, aren't you? You'll find out in a minute. Last week, we're getting ready to get into the scripture. Last week, we talked about how, how man and woman were each created with uniqueness and purpose. And how each man and woman are created in the image of God. And that each and every one of us have a... We have gifts given to us by the Lord, called what I refer to as common grace that God just gives people like the ability to love and, and to trust and all of these other things. There's a long list. I'm not going to go through them all. Listen to the, the message from last week if you'd like to. But all of these things that, that God has given us because we are his image bearers. We bear his image in the world. So it's, it's part of that discussion that we're going to continue today. And we talked about the uniqueness of the way that we were created, how Man was created from the dust of the ground, but then woman was created from what? From man's rib. And that's kind of what, right where we jump in to verse 23 today. Verse 23 says this, The man said, this is Adam, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay, I'm going to stop right there for a second. This is a reason why poets and musicians always have an edge on, a, on you know, trying to pick up girls than a guy like me. Because Adam, come, this is the first time he sees Eve, and Eve comes up, and he's like, he's just got a poem. He's, he's, this is a song, is basically what this is. And he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of me. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but I bet for Eve it probably meant a whole lot. Verse 24 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Sin had not been entered into humanity. That's what we can see from that, that verse. But if we could, go to verse 24 once again. And it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You see, this, this I think, and, and I've prayerfully considered this, this is something that, that our country specifically and our culture 
has lost. And that this idea, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. I'll tell you, here's how this fleshes out in our culture. For this reason a man will will leave his father and mother. That's what the word says. But you see, they're afraid in our culture. Young people are afraid to leave father and mother because we don't trust the person enough to do that. So they want to hang on over here to mom and dad, and yet they don't want to give them to themselves and give themselves to their spouse. This is talking about married couples. So we want, they want to hold on to mom and dad because if they hold on to mom and dad, if, if Joe Hero decides that he wants to drop, he just wants to drop her and take off, she doesn't have to, far the, rather, she doesn't have to fall that far. She can lean back on mom and dad. But the problem with this is, You cheat each other out of the intimacy and the unity that you're supposed to have in marriage. You cheat yourself. And nobody wins. And I'm going to break down. It says, be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. Now this this is talking about unity on a couple different levels. And I'll get to those. But what I hope for you to see today, and maybe answer this question is, what is my role in my relationship? What is my role in my marital relationship as a man? What is my role as a woman? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to do everything while the other person does nothing? The answer is no. Am I I supposed to intentionally not do anything so the other person has to do everything? The answer is no. So what are we supposed to do as married couples? I know some of you are single and you think, okay, well, Pastor, I I don't see the benefit of this for me. And I know what 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and 8 says. It says it's good not to marry and all those things. And people who are single love to use those verses. But the problem with using those verses is that's this this uh, this chapter literally in 1 Corinthians is really about Christian marriage. So Paul is making this little this little excerpt. and He says, you know what? He was single. Jesus was single. But he says, I, I want you to know something. There are, uh, the reason why these things are so plainly clarified in scriptures and the reason why Paul says this about singles is because he knows that it's going to be very few people who actually remain single. And out of the people who do remain single, that they are going to have incredible circumstance and their culture and the life around them is going to pressure them so much to fall into adultery and other sin. So Paul says clearly, he says, I want you to know it's okay that you're single, but you should only be single if you're A, going to devote your life to Jesus and you're going to commit to him fully. Because if you commit to him fully, then you'll have everything you want. But he says, just in case you don't, and most of us fall into this category, I'm going to put down uh, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a picture for you as to what it looks like, your role, man and woman, husband and wife. And I would say for the students this morning, and really, and for the next three weeks, what I would hope that you would get out of this is that you would sit back and that every relationship that you have from this point on, that you would ask yourself the question, is he worth it? Is she worth it? Is he the one? Is she the one? Because there's no reason in dating someone unless you think they're, that they would be able to be something who would be married to you. And then I would say, talk to your dad because he's going to have a better um, judge of that than you are. Or come and talk to me and then I'm going to defer them to your dad. And then we're going to have a sporting event called courting. It's going to be awesome. 
I look forward to that. Love to help. Just let me know. Hmm. This is middle Georgia. Got to know what you're getting into. I want to share some, some things that I think really kind of help prove the, and, and not necessarily to prove my point because I'm going to let the word speak for itself so I really don't have to, to prove this to myself. But I, I just want us to maybe take just a snapshot of our culture and let you know why I'm teaching on this topic. 50% of, of marriages today will fail at some point and go and fade away and it will be the worst mistake that the couple ever made and they will fall to divorce, 50%. It's right around 50%. It has been for a little while. And that, you know what? We've probably heard that number so much that it doesn't even mean anything to us, which is shameful, to be honest with you. But then this number does. There are 13.7 million single parents in our country. 13.7 million single parents. And I think, and I think you will too by the end of, of today and the next two weeks following this, I think that if we were to actually do some of the things that the Word of God talks about, that I think that number would be drastically different. That people wouldn't be looking for answers outside of marriage. They wouldn't be looking for answers elsewhere. They wouldn't be looking for answers with pornography and adultery and all these other things. Because if they were to actually do what the Word says, I know it's a novel idea. If they were to actually do what the Word says, the Word would be a better place. And I would probably have to preach this message a little bit easier than when I'm going to preach it today and next week when I bring a message to the guys. But it's a problem. In Genesis 2.18, it says that there, were no, there was no suitable helper for Adam. Right? You remember? And the animals came by, and, and Adam said, Woo! That one has tusks. I hope that's not the one you have for me, God. That one, that one has hooves, and is just straight up ugly. I hope that's not the one. You know, and all these go by, and then there was no suitable helper, but then Adam fell asleep, God put him to sleep, and then out of his rib, Eve was created. And it said specifically that it was not good that man would be what? Alone. It was not good that man would be alone. The three, three truths, and I mentioned this about being united to his wife. I think it's deeper than, than just being connected to, and just, it is the marriage covenant, but I want to break it down in three different levels this morning, if I could. We have to be united with husband and wife, have to be united spiritually, a spiritual unity. We're going in the same direction. We may grow at different spiritual rates. This happens. This happens with Marla and I in our marriage. Seems like one's just exploding in growth, and then we're trying to pull the other one along, and then other times it's just like the other one is growing and then trying to pull the other one along. But it is a beautiful thing when you're both growing spiritually together. But really this speaks into not just just growth as far as long-term spiritual growth. This is saying, what do you believe Spiritual unity. What do you believe about the fundamentals of the faith? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about his resurrection? What do you believe about the grace of God? What do you believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is it that you believe about those things? See, to be united to his wife, you have to be united spiritually, make sure we're going in the same direction. If not, we will splinter. Splinter. 
We will splinter. But then at another level, and I'm not going to talk about this a lot right now. I may in like a month, but, but I'm not going to right now. And I'm going to kind of fly through these first two because the last one is the one that I really want to hit home today. And that is the, the second level of unity up to the two of the three. And that's just physical unity. Physical unity. Physical. You know, not the Olivia Newton song, or Olivia Newton-John song from like the 80s. This is talking about being physical, being a sexual relationship with your spouse, not a promiscuous relationship with your spouse, husband and wife. Physical unity, sanctity in marriage. One person, or rather, it's one person that you are bonded to, one male, one female, marriage covenant, physical unity. Not what culture would teach that didn't... Like I, I had said, I know culture teaches a myriad of different things and I don't want to go through and I don't want to do anything other than say, I want you to take a snapshot of culture and then I want us to dig into the Word this morning to say, okay, what about culture is wrong and what about culture have maybe I started to believe and what does the Word of God say? And it says we need to be united to our wife spiritually. We have to be going in the same direction. The essentials of the faith. Physical unity. One bit about spiritual unity. A challenge that we have, even within, within Christianity, in, in church, well-meaning church-going folks today, is in a lot of, a lot of places, the woman comes to church, the, the mother may come to church, and then the husband stays home. The church has basically forgotten the man and then the man doesn't come and he's he's kind of an afterthought and they think well if i have the kids and i have the wife then all is well and we've got a family here but you don't have a family here you have two different people growing spiritually at different levels and and I, i've seen it many many times and they always say man if, if i just keep coming and and he'll come too and the reality is the church has to be intentional about reaching him just like it has to be intentional about reaching her and yet we want them to grow spiritually together and we want them to have this, this, this experience with Jesus together. This church has really been on that. We go out of our way to make it not just, not just a church that, that is just attracting children or ladies or whatever. We want to attract men. We want men to, to like this place. It is really has shaped us in the music that we play. Is because, and specifically young men. Because I believe that that statistic, 13.7 million single parents, a lot of that falls back to men not being men. And if we could welcome them in a church that is befitting to them, that they would feel like, wow, this isn't weird. We don't have, like, pink wallpaper. This is neat, you know? It actually looks like a place that I would like to hang out. I think more families would be redeemed. I think children's lives would be shaped. And I think marriages would be unified. Can I get an amen? Does anyone believe that this morning? And it goes back to, and starting with spiritual unity, physical unity, being devoted to your spouse physically. Saying, you know what, no matter what, you are the one for me, babe. That'd be a good line to a song. <laughs> Not going to sing it, though. And then the third that we will spend most of the time with this morning is functional unity. Functional unity. Hmm, function. Function befits role. 
Function befits role. Functional unity. One of the things that we kind of kind of jumped into and, and kind of we spoke around it last week. I kind of did this intentional so you didn't hear the same sermon two weeks in a row because then you'd leave. But I kind of went around this and, and, and really this morning I'm hoping to just nail it down, to just nail this down and make it clear for you and for us. This idea of functional unity. I'm going to throw this out and then we're going to get into the scripture that is going to help this. Functional uni- unity befits the role that you have with husband and wife. Your role, as the Bible says it, as a man or a woman. What does that mean? I believe that there are very distinct roles. And if you would please go to 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 3. There are very distinct roles, and I think what we're going to see from this scripture is that the two roles, and I'm not saying this is a complete and exhaustive list of everything that you're capable of doing. It's not a matter of that. But I'm saying that if you break it down, that God has orchestrated us to have really two roles, men to have a role, and then ladies to have a role to make the world a better place, to make families more whole, to make marriages last, and to raise godly kids. And and if I'm totally honest, this scripture is difficult this morning. This is. This is one of those hard texts that a lot of, of pastors read in their, in their own study time and say, man, I'm glad I never have to preach on that. Um, not so the case today. This is, this is something that I do want to approach this with humility. And before we read, starting in verse 3, going through verse 16, I want to give you the context of this, because context is everything. 1 Corinthians. The church at Corinth was a messed up church. It was messed up. Specifically, some things that were messed up in there, 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 was, there was homosexuality, running amok, the, the, the men and women, the roles of men and women, the gender of men and women were in question. It was just, it was a very, very, very sad state of affairs in the church. So when Paul speaks to this church on this topic, what had happened was their culture had now infected the church. So some of the cultural ideals had infected the church, and now Paul goes through and he says, you know what, I'm not going to be able to address all these cultural things, but here's what I do want to do. We need to clean up the house of God. So this is how he kind of tries to, starting in verse 3. Paul wrote this. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Stop right there. The head of every man is Christ. That man, this, this literally means male, man is under the authority of Christ. Everybody say Under the authority of Christ. That should be liberating for every one of us. That means that we have, rather that we are not expected to have all the answers. We lean on Christ because we believe that he he knows all things. He is all things. And we would be foolish and sinful if we did not lean on him. We are under his authority, his supreme authority. He, He works through us, works in us. We are under his authority. 
Second part of that verse, it says, and the head of the woman is man. Now, uh, this is... This is abrasive to many folks, especially in our culture. Maybe not for you, but in, it, within the generations coming up, they're being taught things contrary to this. So I want to allow the Word to speak, because if the Word does not speak to us this morning, our culture will speak, the movies that you watch will speak, the songs that you listen to will speak, and the YouTube videos that you watch will speak. And we believe around this church that the Bible gives and has the authority over our life. Right? So it says the head of every woman, or or rather, that the head of the woman is man. This is speaking of leadership. It's saying one of the roles that a man has, and and really a role that was established in, in creation, that Adam was created first. Adam was given the responsibility of naming the animals. Woman was created from Adam's rib. And, consequently, that was the very thing that Satan tried to attack at the fall. Because Satan tried to attack and get in between them because who did Satan go to? Did he go to Eve because she was more gullible? And you've heard that in churches probably. I don't believe that to be true. But was it because Eve was more gullible? No. It wasn't because she was more gullible as far as as I'm concerned and and from what I see in the scriptures. I think the reason why Satan went to Eve is because he wanted to go to the very core of the roles and and really the the way that we were supposed to be as men and women men and women rather and he was supposed to he attempted to go right into that relationship and try and erode it right from the start. And I think it is the consequence of that sin that has led us now in our culture to go back and say, whoa, you just said the man is the leader. What does that mean? Does that mean I can't be the CEO of a company? Nope, didn't say that. I'm saying in in a home and areas of responsibility and in the church. The Bible clearly teaches that. I'm not talking about in the workplace and those kinds of things. If you want to do that, more power to you. That's awesome comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of headache, and I can counsel you if it goes bad. But other than that, rock on. Let's do it. I'm not saying that at all. But I think it's, it's some of the things that happened with the fall, and when Satan had gone through and spoke to Eve, and going out of really the order of speaking to the man, and when he tried to divert man's leadership and authority in that situation, it was to the very core of trying to disrupt the roles and specifically just trying to all of, of authority of man. And the head of Christ is God. Now this is, this is not talking about that, that, that Jesus is subservient to God the Father that isn't what he's talking about. Um, I want to share something else in that regard. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all three God, not one more important than the other. This, I believe, is what Paul is talking about. And this is a, a passage that you're probably familiar with. Jesus said, it's not my will, but what? Yours, or thy will be done. He says, not my will, but your will be done. 
Jesus, fully God, fully man, the, the theological $5 word is the hypostatic union of Jesus. That's what they call that. That Jesus is, these, he is, he is God in every, in every fashion and way. And he, in, he speaks and he says, you know what? In this moment he says, not my will. Not my will as a human, Lord, but I, I just, I want you to know, God the Father, I'm just letting you and I'm submitting to your will. That submission is not, it is not a way of saying that God the Father has authority over him. He's just saying, you know what, I'm submitting to your, your will in this moment because I know that I have to, that Jesus knew that he would have to die to take the sins of the world. So he, he willingly Submitted to that authority. Willingly. Now, part of this, before we get into the next part, and the next part's like, I hope you brought waiters, because you're probably going to be swimming a little bit. But the first part, it says, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man. Well, I, I said, okay, man has this responsibility, this role of leadership in the home and in the church, and and, and we can unpack that more starting next week. But then also, the, the lady has a role in this situation. Actually, it it's kind of branches out just a little bit. That, that the, the woman is supposed to submit to the authority of the man in leadership. Not blindly, but submits to that authority and says, Okay, I'm gonna, you are the leader. You are going to be the one. I will give you wise counsel. I will speak to you. The Word of God, actually in the book of John, it refers to... Um, the Holy Spirit as the helper, which is the same thing that what? It's the same word that God used in the Word of God in Genesis, speaking of the, the lady complimenting the man, is it not? He says, I will make a helper suitable for him, because it was not good that he would be alone. I'm going to make a helper. The Gospel of John, four times the Holy Spirit is used as the helper. Another scripture, Psalm 54, 4 says, Surely God is my help, the Lord who is the one who sustains me. You are in good company, ladies, being referred to as the helper. It is not a, it is not a demeaning role. It is, a, it is an uplifted role from actually the present culture of what is going on, the Jewish culture that the scriptures were birthed out of. But it says that the men have this responsibility of leadership in the home and that the ladies are supposed to submit to that, that leadership, like I said, not blindly, still speaking into that leadership, still giving wise counsel, and yet doesn't try and backbite, doesn't try and attack that leadership, but tries to complement that leadership. But here is a problem that we see in our culture. And I'm just about done talking about culture. Here's a problem that we see. And many of you have probably even been raised in this. We've been raised in this idea of chauvinism. Chauvinism means what? That the man stands way out front. We've heard of that, haven't we? But then also, as a response to that chauvinism, which is horribly wrong, in a response to that chauvinism, now feminism has, has kicked it up and it says, you know what, well, I don't need a man anyway. Man, get behind me. So now who's wanting to be the leader? Tell me. The woman, right? I think the beauty of the Scriptures and what Paul speaks about here and the idea 
that, that we see with, with the three different levels of unity and functional unity, it's not that one is more demeaning than the other, but it's saying, you know what? It's liberating. I don't have to do everything. That I'm supposed to compliment my wife. And she's supposed to compliment me. And the way that that kind of fleshes itself out is allowing the wife to come in as the helper, to stand right next to and compliment because chauvinism says man's out front. Feminism says woman's out front. I, I pose to you this morning what I call, and it's it referred to as complementarianism. I'm only going to say it once, all right? It's long. And I probably didn't even say it right. But the beauty of that word is that's husband and wife together. It's just a matter of dispersing the roles. That's all it is. But it's together. Hence unity. Jumping into verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a man does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved off, she should cover her head. I had mentioned this briefly. A lot of things are happening in the church in Corinth at this time. And Paul is speaking about a cultural idea. But what, what I don't want us to do is get lost in, in, okay, what is the head covering? What is all these things? Paul is supposed to be, in, in what he's attempting to convey to, to his audience directly and then us indirectly this morning, is this idea of we're all under authority. We're all under authority. He's speaking specifically, he says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. The reason why he's saying this is because in that church, people were, the ladies were being, they were being liberated and they were being free, but they were going beyond that. And now there was this, people couldn't tell who was a man and who was a woman. Now gender was being confused. They had a group of people, temple prostitutes within that church, temple prostitutes within that church were intentionally not having head coverings and they would have their hair long. And basically what that was doing is that was thumbing the nose at God and the authority and saying, you know what, I'm not under anyone's authority. But then at the same time, there were ladies that were shaving their heads and they were lesbians and around the same thing. So now, it sounds so much different than what we see and hear of in our culture today, right? Roles and genders being confused. But as all of this is happening, both the temple prostitutes and the lesbians were basically thumbing their nose at God and the church and saying, you know what? We're not under anyone's authority. We could do whatever we want. And I don't know if you've ever said that to God, but let me tell you, you just... If, if you have said something like that, you need to repent quickly because that is dangerous, dangerous ground you're treading on. The head coverings were symbolic in, in this sense. They're symbolic of the authority that they were placed under. And then it starts in verse 7. It says, A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For God did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man as the helper. We've talked about that. 
For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. I'll get to that part in just a second. But it says, the man ought not to have the cover on his head. So he would look like a man. So ladies would look like ladies, men would look like men. Novel idea. But the woman is, it says, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Both are created in the image of God. We talked about that last week. Man was created directly in the image of God as, and I know this is deep stuff, and just kind of bear with me if you would please, but it says that the scripture says, but the woman is the glory of man. It's not saying that she is not an image bearer of God. She gets her glory and bears the image through man because she was created through his rib. And it says, For man did not uh, come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman from man. Talking about the, the order of creation. But then it, it says in verse 10, and this is, this is something that we don't have clarity on, to be honest with you. I, I researched this. I looked in commentaries for this. And this is not crystal clear. So if you're like, um, like, you know, I'll just like really like a Bible study geek and you're like, man, what does that mean? I'm not going to give you the answer and you're probably not going to like me at the end of today. You have to research it yourself. Sorry. But it says, for this reason and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Not really sure what this is. What what does that mean? And because of the angels, what what I, I tend to think this means is talking about how the angels refused God and they thought they could do things better than God and in Isaiah 14 it says this and talks about Satan's rebellion I think that's what it's about but it's not absolutely clear but then he says the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head so everybody knows that she's a woman because gender and role were getting confused verse 11 says this in the Lord however men are not independent Women are not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman, because they are supposed to complement one another. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. I love how Paul brings that back around, and he says, you know what? For woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. So he's saying, you know what? We're all on an even playing field here. We need each other. We need each other. But everything comes from God, he rightly says. Then he says in verse 13, he says, judge for yourselves. In other words, he's saying, think about this. Just consider what I'm saying. He says, is it proper for a woman to to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach us that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace for him or to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice. He says, this is all we have, and that's all we need. He says, nor do the churches of God. He says, you know what, this just isn't my message that I'm just giving you. He says, this is, this is God's message to all people. And at the end, it speaks again about the idea that men, they were, they were growing their hair long, to look like women. And people couldn't differentiate between them. And Paul has to go in, and really this is kind of a, this is like tough love to the church. That's how I receive it. And, and he challenges them. He says, what are you thinking? He says, consider this. Doesn't this just make sense? We're all under authority of God. 
And now when you, come, when you go through and you've allowed the temple prostitutes come in to corrupt everything, and now you have homosexuality running around, he says, you're basically, you're, you're destroying everything. Don't you understand this? He says, just consider what I'm saying. Just be open-minded to what I'm saying. And he says, and I think if you're open-minded to it, it'll be just as clear for you as it is to me. See, the, the problem is we've allowed other things around us to corrupt what we, how we think and what we believe. And now, in response to the chauvinism and then the feminism and that, that, that men aren't, are not being men, to just say it boldly, and that ladies are having to, to step up and to fulfill more roles than what, they're, what they really it's not than what they're capable of because they're incredibly capable. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. It's the same situation whenever I was uh, coming back. It wasn't that Marla was incapable of doing many things. She was. As a matter of fact, I was kind of stricken how capable she was to maintain everything. Well, I was off looking at the world, so she thought, you know, and doing all these things, and I guess all the pictures that I brought home and showed her, and, hey, look at Pisa, look at all this. And she's like, yeah, look at this, this is a dirty diaper. That's what I saw for six months, you know. But all of these things, that the, I've been so changed by these ideas. I've been liberated by these ideas, and it isn't that Marla wasn't capable of doing those things. We've had to learn the hard way that we just didn't have to. And that we weren't supposed to. And that we were supposed to compliment each other. Because I'm not a nurturer. And she is. And what I would like to do for the next few minutes is I'm actually going to invite my bride up here and I'm going to ask her a couple questions. I am. Come on. Besides that, you're, you're very pretty and you will lighten up the stage because I am not. Um... I don't know. I think we're going to need this. Yeah, go ahead. I will say, your trip to, his trip overseas, he would call me. This is a side note. This has nothing to do with Do we really need to do this? He would call me and he'd say, guess what I was having for dinner today? And I would be like, what? And he would tell me all about this, the great different foods that he was trying or places he would go. And I'm just like, yeah, this is not fun. Are we going to go on vacation? 